anti-republic Republicans. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. All right. I don't even, I don't even feel like ranting today. Anybody who's not following me on Twitter or even Instagram, you probably haven't seen the pictures of the cutest puppy on the planet. That uh, if I sound tired, it's because I probably haven't slept more than three hours in a row in a couple of days since this puppy has descended upon my house and basically taken over my sleep schedule and the sleep schedule of everybody who lives here, my wife and my daughter. Um... It is just, you know, a ball of cuteness and energy. That's really it. That sleeps and poops. And, um, yeah. So it's kind of hard for me to be mad at Kevin freaking McCarthy for calling Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney Pelosi Republicans. He's an anti-republic Republican, right? He doesn't believe in our 240 plus years of history in this country. He doesn't honor it by his actions, by his role as a member of the House of Representatives. And you know what? I can care less because I've been playing with a puppy like all day. That's it. That's all I've been doing. I've been playing with a freaking puppy all day. I got bumped uh, from my Fox appearance on Monday night and I didn't even care because I literally had no energy and thank God I got bumped because I was alone with the puppy. And what would I have done? I would have had to go on Fox with the puppy on my lap. That would have been my only option to do Fox. And it's a show, it was Kennedy, where, by the way, I still, I still haven't heard from Dave Smith. I guess I'm never ha- hearing from Dave Smith. He just wants to say I don't want to go on his show. And then when I offer to go on his show, he's, he just wants to ignore me. Like, I'm not a bigger star than him or, or big enough star for his show. Oh, sorry, Dave Smith. Yes, you're you're a hipster comic in his early 40s. And, and I'm a pundit in my late 40s. So, you know, screw you. But I don't care because I got a puppy. And I've been playing with her all day. And she is a golden retriever, cute as can be. Those of you who have been following my saga with my daughter's golden retriever, she has left. Uh, My daughter is now a journalist in upstate New York, and she brought the dog with her to upstate New York uh, about a year ago. The dog comes back. She actually just was with me for two and a half weeks. She just left today. She was here to um, meet the puppy. And in fact, the puppy is actually her biological niece. The uh, The mother of my puppy was in the same litter as my daughter's puppy. So they are very cute together. They were very cute. Um, I, I'm amazed at how good big dogs can be with little puppies. And uh, really looking forward to this puppy destroying my house the same way my, uh, my daughter's dog did when she lived here. Uh, you know, it's funny though. She's like two and a half now. She's mellowed out. Kind of like me today. I'm kind of mellowed out. Um, fortunately for you, though, uh, I have a great interview with Kurt Acevedo, actor extraordinaire. If you don't know him, look up his IMDb page. Follow him on Twitter. Uh, we did four segments on my radio show last week, and we were all over the place. We talked about his acting career. We talked about his involvement in politics because he is he is brutal towards conservatives on Twitter. And I never actually talked to Kurt before uh, before this uh, interview with him. We are friends on Twitter. Uh, we're in multiple tweet groups together. He's helped me you know, increase my following on Twitter dramatically. He's been fantastic in retweeting me. I was just asking him to retweet me because 
he had been following me, I think probably since the incident with Michael Knowles uh, a couple years ago. And, you know, every now and then I say, hey, can you retweet something for me? Can you boost this? Because I was trying to get some followers. And he was always very generous in doing that. And uh, then I got into some groups with him. And, uh, yeah, it's been great. He's fantastic. The interview's awesome. So if you want hardcore Chris uh, talking politics, uh, you'll you'll get that in this show. I, I mean, I, I'm not even mad at that fool, Kevin McCarthy. I'm really not. I mean, because the puppy, this is how insignificant... Kevin McCarthy is right now in American politics. I have a show where I talk about politics, a radio show. I have a podcast where I talk about politics. He's been talking all day, nonsense, uh, all weekend, nonsense. And I could care less. The puppy has made me feel good. I could care less that um, on Tuesday, I don't know when you're listening to this, so it could be today, it could be yesterday. Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Louis Gohmert, you know, the, the Sedition Caucus, is having a rally in front of the Justice Department, in front of the DOJ, to protest the treatment of the January 6th rioters in prison. Now, come on, man. Here, here's what I could say to you, Matt Gates, Mr. Forehead, Captain Forehead. I guarantee you that they are being treated better then they treated the Capitol Police officers that they were beating with American flags, which you pretend to worship, but you don't. Uh, I, I guarantee you they're being treated better in prison than they treated Officer Fanon. I guarantee they're being treated better in prison. Shot, you know, that had uh, bear spray sprayed on them. I guarantee it. So screw you, Matt Gates. Get out of Congress. Maybe these angry people just need to go get a puppy. That's all I could say. Maybe they just need to go get a puppy. All right, I'm not going to go too crazy here because I do want to get to this interview. I'll come back at the end of the show and I'll wrap it up. Maybe I'll uh, I'll uh, I'll have a little fire in my belly. Maybe the puppy cuteness will wear off. She's sleeping right now, which is why I'm able to even do this podcast. I'm getting it to my people very late, uh, but she's sleeping uh, and I am podcasting. But the interview I did in my radio studio, so uh, it's nice and crystal clear. And I don't sound like I haven't slept in three days because I hadn't gotten the puppy yet when I did this interview. So stick around for a great interview, Kirk. Joining me now, friend of mine who I've actually never met. First time I'm actually having a real conversation with, but I, gotta, I can honestly say Kirk Acevedo is a friend of mine. Kirk is an actor. He's been in a million things. If I listed them, I wouldn't have time to interview him today. But he's original, originally from New York City. Kirk, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, brother? I am. I'm great, man. You, you and I became friends on Twitter. We were like retweeting each other. Then we wound up in a couple of tweet groups, and uh, I feel like I've known you forever. And we've ne- this is the first time we're ever talking. It's funny how Twitter works that way, doesn't it? It, it? it is funny how it works that way. It's like, I'm like, oh, I'm having Kirk on. He's a friend of mine. I'm like, I never actually talked to Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I have no idea if he has a, a criminal record or, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I got to go back and watch some movies. I'm like, I got a friend who's like a movie star. <laughs> no, no, no. So, so man, I want to before we talk about politics, and you and I have got a lot to say about politics. Anybody who's not following Kirk on Twitter, you got to do it. He's fantastic. You know, he just you, your stream of consciousness, no holds bar. He's not like trying to mince words. He's just telling it like he sees it, which is which we love. Yeah. 
Um, you got to do it. But let's let's go through the journey of how you became you, because I think people are always interested in that. I had John Hall on last week, former congressman who was also the lead singer of the band Orleans. And, uh, you know, when oh we, talking about his story was just great. I got a lot of great feedback from my listeners. But I think you've got a similar kind of like road. Um, you know, you didn't run for Congress yet, but there's still time. <laughs> uh, so uh you're a lot younger than congressman hall uh so you you're born in the you're born in new york city were you born in the bronx if i'm correct i was i was i was born in the bronx yes you're born in the bronx you and i are about the same age um and 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 you grow up there and and and, and tell me a little bit about your upbringing yeah i mean uh you know uh my parents divorced when i was four and a half so you know dysfunctional family you know, mom that was bipolar, you know, so a lot of dysfunction. And uh, me and my brother, I had a brother six years older than me. And uh, uh, I was a latchkey kid at five and, you know, would get out earlier than my brother. So I would wait for him and yada, yada, yada. So we moved around a lot, of course, and lived on welfare. And, uh, you know, just acting is something I always wanted to do. Don't, don't know how I got the bug. Yep. Don't know what, you know, gave me the idea. It's been, it's inception or anything. And in junior high school, I think I'm going to kick out of schools for fighting. I was kicked out of uh, uh Catholic school in kindergarten for fighting. What? And my brother. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. And my brother would call me kindergarten dropout. <laughs> and, uh, so kept on fighting and it went all the way up to junior high. And then my mom uh, took me out and took me to a performing arts high school, uh, junior high in, in East Harlem, East Harlem Performing Arts. And that's where I kind of got the, you know, the bug, I guess, and went to high school performing arts. Right. Uh, and then, you know, got a GED, was still, you know, messing about. You know, I was 16 living on my own as a senior in high school, hmm. uh, long, that, that's, you know, just, I was just too much for my parents to take care of me and, uh, turned 17 as a senior when I graduate took, uh, didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And then, uh, my best friend who's still my best friend to this day, we've known each other since we're 13 years old. His mom says, Hey, I'm going to pay for your, uh, college admission uh, for your, you know, your enrollment fee or whatever. And you're going to go to a conservatory for acting. Nice. And I said, all right, cool. And so I went to visit the school and I, I had no other options. Like it wasn't, you know, I, I had like literally nothing going on, you know, 17, no parents and, and went to eat lunch. And my friend had this card and you swipe the card and you go in and it's all you can eat. Ha. And I said, I said, it's all you can eat. What do you, what do you mean? Because you could eat as many different things as you want. That, my friend, was the reason why I went to college. Wow. To have a, to roof over my head, have three square meals a day. Because I had nothing. No, <laughs> we, no, no, nothing. We have a similar background. In fact, I'm looking at your bio. You're only, you're like 15 or 18 days older than me. We're almost the same age. Uh, and... I too went to high school for the performing arts, um, half a day. Oh, really? Yeah, I went to high school oh, performing arts on Long Island, uh, half oh, okay. a, half a day, uh, and then half a day of regular high school. 
My parents divorced when I was four and a half. I didn't, I wasn't as much of a latchkey kid. My mother was pretty much stay at home. My mother got remarried pretty quickly. My stepfather was a good guy, uh, is a good guy. Uh, And, um, you know, had that kind of upbringing though, where I just wanted to leave. Like I just wanted to get out, (laughs) I have to go, I have to get out of here, right? I have to get out of here. And when I was 17, I went to college. I was fortunate that I could kick a football 75 yards and I went to, I went to college and I, you know, I got recruited by a lot of colleges, got into college, uh, was on welfare all through high school, was an EOP student in college here in New York state. Very similar. Didn't get into, I was an actor. I acted throughout my life. I still do improv comedy once in a while. Everybody knows, everybody listening to my shows knows that, but I, got into politics because they wanted to shut down my high school for the forming arts when I was in high school. (laughs) That was how I got into politics. It's just, it's amazing. So this is interesting. So your first big break, what was, I mean, everybody knows you did Oz and band of brothers and, and, and other, you know, big things that you've been in, but what was the first thing that first, like, wow, I can make a living doing this. Uh, yeah, I was doing theater in New York city, uh, off Broadway. And, uh, I got to work with literally like my idol who I was a kid. When I was a kid, I was like, I wish he was my dad. And that was Sam Shepard. Oh, wow. I got to work with, oh yeah. Is work, did a, a, a play called the tooth of crime with Vincent D'Onofrio. Man. And it's pretty much a, a two hander. And, uh, there's music involved and T-Bone Burnett did the music Sam Shepard was involved with the second draft of the play. Wow. And and from Sam did Days of Heaven with Terrence Malick. And Sam called up um, uh, Terrence Malick was like, hey, you have to see this kid. Terrence flew me down to L.A., had me audition for a bunch of different parts, and then cast me in Thin Red Line. From, you know, from Thin Red, from, from that play, I got Oz. Because the casting director saw the play, right? I got nominated for a drama desk, and you know all the good stuff. And so that was for me. Uh, you know, you're rolling with, you know, Harvey Keitel and De Niro, and all these people would come see the play. Uh, Stella Adler, his daughter, wow, the play, and like all these people. And you know, you know, you have to take the good with the bad, right? So. If you believe the good, you have to believe the bad. So that's one of the things I, I learned early on. And, and it's a way of keeping you in check. But it was kind of hard, man. Like, you know, people you admire are just, you know, patting you on the back. And it was, you know, it was it was very humbling and, you know. Yeah. Amazing experience. Yeah, I, I know that feeling sometimes, too, through my uh, political stuff. I get a lot of calls from people. I'm like, I can't believe you're calling me. I can't believe you're reaching out to me. I'm like, like <laughs> right. I'm a, I'm a schmuck who just, you know, was in the right place at the right time. And because I was an actor and an improv comic, I was pretty good yeah. on TV as a result. Right. You know, I'm not like Ron Klain. <laughs> you know, it's not, right. you know, it's all stuff. <laughs> uh, you have these breaks. Uh, you get on Oz. How You were on Oz the whole yeah. run, right? You, that was a, that was yeah. a, a long run. And, and Oz, for those of you who, don't remember it was a very disturbing show about prison life back in the yes. back in the 90s um and and so you get cast on Oz and you're in it for the whole run tell me about tell me about that experience oh it's great well you know you know one of the things it, it, it was the first HBO one hour show ever so but I mean sorry 
first one-hour cable show ever. Right. There was no before Sopranos, before Six Feet Under, before, you know, before anything, Showtime, any of that stuff. So we didn't necessarily know what we were doing. And Tom Fontana, the creator, uh, you know, he did St. Elsewhere and Homicide and, you know, a bunch of other stuff. So he had, uh, you know, he had a lot of pool. He said, I'll do a show about prison only if you let me do whatever I want to do. Right. And they were like, sure. Yeah. So he goes, I want to kill the lead guy in the first episode. And John Seda was the lead character and basically killed him at the end of the first episode to show you that anything could happen in prison. Wow. Wow. That must have been... Did you feel like... I didn't watch a lot of Oz because it disturbed me. No offense to you. I mean, because the acting was the acting was so good. <laughs> it was like so good. And I was I was in law school and I was working as an assistant district attorney. Uh, and and I, I was basically like thinking about prison life way too much when I watched that show. I'm like, I don't, I don't even want to send people to prison. This is like <laughs> so, so uh, I didn't watch. But did you get like, I don't know, like you talk about like shows like the planet of the apes, not the one that you were in. I know you were in one of the more modern versions of planet of the apes. uh, And we could talk about that a little bit, but like in the seventies, when they shot planet of the apes, they said that the people who were made up to be orangutans sat with the orangutans and the people who were just dressed up like chimpanzees sat with the chimpanzees. (laughs) Like it was that weird kind of study. Like when they were off camera, when they were having lunch. Yes. Uh, So when you're in this prison show, and there are these different groups in the prison. Like, did you feel yeah. like, did, I don't know. It was so realistic to me, that show. That How did it feel for you as an actor? Well, I mean, you know, we're, you're, you're like 23 years old. This was like, it was like a party. I mean, in the sense that we were all family and it, there was a lot of communal areas. So there would be two days per episode where, You'd have to do the cafeteria scene, or there would be the common room scene where you'd have all the cast, background regulars, which were us, and we had we had no lines. We had to be there all day because he said it looks more realistic if you're just in the background. And we would gamble, we were drinking, right? We were smoking. <laughs> I mean, it was a part. I mean, Rick Fox, who was on the Lakers during when he was winning all the championships was one of the actors on the show. And me and him were gambling on that. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, so it was a party. So you weren't, you weren't feeling like you didn't have any of that prison pressure on you when you were there. You just were having fun. And you guys were just great actors. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> That's the thing. It's, it's so heavy, right? Like you can't carry that on your shoulders every day. Right. You, you can't, you, 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 every scene you're doing, is life and death and, you know, your prison rapes, your, your mother, your child is dying or your wife is leaving you. You can't carry that every day. So we just had fun. And then when we had to work, we worked. So I'll ask you this question. I ask every actor I have on this show. What was the most challenging role you ever had? I I don't know if I could say it because it's a role that everyone... The the most challenging stuff are procedurals. So procedurals being like, uh, you know, anything like just the facts. Right. So it's it's not character-driven. 
those for me are the hardest things to do because I'm really a character actor, but you want me to play a straight man. Right. And the only reason why I get those parts is because of my voice. Got it. Because this voice makes that stuff sound a lot better. Yeah. That's the only reason why they hire me, you know, for that stuff. Yeah. Everyone looks bad doing it. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. And what was your favorite role ever? Oh, it's always theater. Any, any theater stuff is, you know, you, as, a, as an actor, you have more control of everything. Uh, whereas in TV and film, you know, TV is a writer's medium. So it's it's not like you go on set and you can start ad-libbing. You can do that on a film because the writer isn't there. Yep. So, you know, for me, you know, you have a lot more freedom in theater and you get one shot every night. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Film, you could do 40 takes, 50 takes. I did 80 takes on one scene in Planet of the Apes because you have eight different setups. Yeah. And you do like 15 takes per setup. So in a way, it's a cheat in a way. Yep. Yep. I always say Jesus because I like playing God. That's just me. (laughs) Uh, So it's so. So let's transition here you are a very vocal political voice you don't yeah. you don't mince words you're way out there i mean you 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 couldn't be more anti-trump if you if you were joe biden uh right. you know how you know how did you come to politics because a lot of people in hollywood they go along to get along they might have a a statement here or there but you spend a lot of time at it you know, uh, I think, you know, for a lot of us, I mean, I, I was always interested in politics. I always followed during the primaries and stuff like that. But I I met Donald Trump three times. So I knew he was a con man. Me too. And the fact that the New Yorkers, because we're New Yorkers, we knew. We knew because we read the papers. We read about his lawsuits and all that stuff for years. And so... It was just shocking to me that people couldn't see through the, you know, the, he's the emperor with no clothes. Right. But but most of the country just fell for it. And I understand it was, you know, it may not, they think something's new is refreshing. Right. Right. And and that's the selling point. But he didn't even do that well. No, he wasn't refreshing. He, about it. he wasn't refreshing at all. All right. So you you know you see Trump coming like all of us New Yorkers do. I would think. Well, I, I am shocked that he gets thirty percent of the vote in New York because we've been reading about this guy our whole lives. I mean, best sex I ever had, Marla Maples, talking about Donald Trump, who was married at the time. So. <laughs> right. And by the way, Donald Trump leaked the story, <laughs> so it's it's like, and no, oh, and but the religious right likes him. That's you know I, I don't understand that at all. I can't I can't make heads or tails of it. But you you see this guy coming, you decide to get vocal about it. Have you gotten any brush back for it? You know, it's uh, not not from my industry. But this is the thing, though, my industry is so subjective, right? So you know, it's not like it's you know the Olympics, right? Like you run you run faster, you win. You lift more, you win. You throw it. You know, acting is completely subjective so in a way they don't have to tell me that it bothers them or they have an issue with it because they could just not hire me right so it's one of those things you know and this is the funny thing and this is what i'll say about my industry 
And it's just so funny because, you know, we think of the entertainment industry as being progressive, being liberal, more liberal, right? Right. But is it? It's a business like any other business. Correct. <laughs> right. Correct. With, with vendettas and with grudges, it's the closest thing to politics that you can get. And I've been saying it for years. The same people in power, the same backstabbing, the same lies, the same, oh, we're going to, we're going to get, get more, uh, uh, Latinos and blacks, and we're going to get more jobs for them. Never, right, happened. right. And you know, never happened. And, and oh, you love you love Biden so much, you hate Trump. John Voight still works, and, and I'll be quite honest with you, he's really good on Ray Donovan. <laughs> so, he's very good. You know, you know, and 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 that's one thing. I'll you know, you know, a lot of our within our groups, you know, on Twitter and stuff like that. Some of our mutual friends, you know, they'll attack certain actors i don't neither do i because because they have families to feed right and they can believe what they want to believe this is where i i differ from a lot of our like i'm very vocal and i'm very aggressive but this is where i, I leave a you know the, the demarcation line i cannot i cannot affect anyone's livelihood right because because they're stupid because they're ignorant, so they should never work again. Right. Like you know, I just I just can't go that far. Like I can't do it. Like listen, you know Scott Bale. Like Scott Bale is like everyone's punchy bag. I just can't do it. Yeah. What do you? Republicans say the same thing about me. Oh, when's the last time you worked? Well, we're in a pandemic. <laughs> I mean, you're working right working. now. <laughs> oh, you haven't worked since since twenty years. Uh, uh I. Films in the last five years, I made a billion dollars. I mean, like, so you know what I mean? Like, but the same way we attack guys like Scott Bayo, they attack, you know, on our side, guys like me. Yeah. So I, I just can't do it. I, I just can't. Yeah, you know? I, I can't. Some people were attacking, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, the guy who was from Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, um, yeah. I, yeah uh, Chris. I can't think of anything. Chris, not Hemsworth. Chris, Chris Pratt. My producer yeah. just put him yeah, up on my, my my producer just yeah. put him up on my screen for me. I watched that movie he was in and I liked it. And I, you yeah. know, I'm like, I didn't even know he had an issue. Why are you guys like leave me alone? Can I just watch a freaking movie sometimes? It's like, okay. I, I, I mean, listen, you're gonna work for people. You're gonna be around people. You're gonna be around family who don't have the same morals as you right. or the beliefs. And that's okay. Cause guess what? I don't have to invite you over for Thanksgiving. Right. You know what I mean? That's, that's the difference. Or if I don't know you, I, I, I mean, I could compartmentalize and I could be like, I love that new Chris Pratt film. Yeah. I thought that it was entertaining. I thought it was very entertaining. I thought he was entertaining in it, yeah. <laughs> frankly. Yeah. And I, you know, it, it look, Here's the thing, though, Kirk. We are going to invite people over to Thanksgiving who have completely different views than us that are probably worse than Chris Pratt, right? I mean, we, we, I mean, I, I know for sure in my family I had people over last week that uh, that that <laughs> that have more views worse than Chris Pratt. I still love them. This is a problem in America, man. We, you know, we have this absolutism. Uh, that we're willing to cancel everybody because they, you know, they have a, a different opinion than us. I'm, 
I'm sorry. Yeah. You're allowed to have a different opinion than me. You're not allowed to hurt people. When yeah. you hurt people, that's what I, I, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. You have a different opinion. Yeah. You want to vote a different way. You want to believe nonsense. That's, that's on you. Um, yeah. You know, we have to, how do we get past that? Well, that's the problem with social media, <clears throat> like Twitter in particular. <clears throat> we get all our information. Our entire news outlet is on Twitter. Right. Everything we get up to date from like seconds. Right. And so you, you were talking about cancel culture. So now, you know, like the, the, what Trump said, you know, in, in 2016 or whatever, is probably some fat guy sitting behind a computer. Well, guess what? It's not just fat guys. It's everyone. Yeah, you and I aren't fat. <laughs> no, we're not. We're right. not fat at all. But we're sitting behind computers, and we're giving our opinions, and we're attacking. I mean, not us, per se, but the majority are attacking. And because they live in anonymity, yeah. because they're not heard, and they want to be heard, and because some of them get followed by say a Chris Pat a right. or Chris Evans, they feel special. They feel entitled, which they should Right, they should get follows. I follow everyone because it's the least I could do. And it puts a smile on somebody's face. Yeah. Anyway. It's insane. Wanna, by the way, and, and, people. and it matters a little bit. It like I, I lost a gig a couple of the reason why I've been so active on Twitter, Kirk, the last seven months. I mean, you and I follow each other for years. But I had like 16,000 followers as recently as December. And my agent said to me, well, you lost the gig. They said you're nowhere on social media. I mean, I wasn't doing anything on social media. I'd post a clip once in a while. I'd tell people to watch me or listen to my radio show or call in. Yeah. And he's like, you lost it. You got no following. You got to get up to like 40,000 followers so people think you're real. I'm like, really? Wow. And I'm now well over that. But but I've been putting the work in. It's a lot. You're putting the work in. I'm putting the work in. It's a lot of work. Kirk, so we're talking about like this world that we live in, and you and I have spent a lot of time on social media. Uh, you know, people just at each other's throat. I I want to find a way out of it. I know you do too. I, I, I do. I, I, I listen. I take breaks all the time. I'll take a day or two breaks and won't even tweet anything. Yeah. Yeah. And then you come back and you see all these tweets and you're like, well, why am I back? Right. I take, I take breaks too. Like I've kind of taken a break today and I come back and I'm like, oh God. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, I, I, I know it, it. It's like the Al Pacino, like uh, Godfather three. They drag me back in. They keep trying to get out. They drag me back in. They drag me back in. <laughs> it's like, it is, it is, uh, it is bewildering sometimes. So let's just talk about the state of America right now. Forget about social media. You know, the, yeah. the, the January 6th select committee broke down yesterday when Nancy Pelosi said, I'm not letting Jim Jordan, that circus freak, on this committee. I want to have a serious conversation about uh, what happened on January 6th. Uh, I think it was the right yeah. move. Uh, I, I think that it was good that Liz Cheney backed her up. I'm surprised more Republicans besides Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger aren't saying, hey, enough with this. Uh, I've got to be out of here. You guys are... are running off the rails what do you yeah. think well i mean i mean it's obvious why more republicans or more democrats when they're under the similar circumstances don't speak out because they want to get reelected. yeah i mean that's what it's all about they're they're they think they could hone in on the the trump MAGA base and it'll carry them to uh you know another 
four, eight, six, ten years of ineptitude and, you know, draining the American people, lying to them. Yeah. That's what they all do. Yeah. Yeah. And they just, they will sell their soul for one more term in the House of Representatives. And I don't, I don't even know what's so good about that. I really, I really don't. I mean, I worked in Congress for six years. Uh, I've been on a lot of campaigns. They're grueling. I mean, you, you could do a lot better doing other things. And, and yet but people... Power, but power. Power. You're close to power. You know, there's levels, right? There's, there's different levels. Like, like Trump was like the top level. Like Putin was even above him, right? Right. Putin, no one could tell, no one could tell Putin no, right? Right. So that, that's, that's what true power is. But, you know, it's, the saying goes, you know, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Right. So even those little senators or congressmen, they have power and they want to retain that power or go up to a senator or a secretary of state. You know, they want to move up. They want to get more power. Yeah, because, you know, you don't have a lot of power when you're just a regular member of the House of Representatives. You really don't. No. Um, you know, we're making. How many? Go ahead. Okay. No, you know, you, no. you don't have how that. Many, how many? <laughs> How many are doing it for altruistic reasons? I don't think like, any of them like, right now, frankly. Correct, correct, correct. I mean, we can even say on both sides. Yeah, I used to think everybody gets. I used to think everybody gets involved for the right reasons, and then they, you know, they 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 make a wrong turn along the way. But I don't believe that anymore. I mean, you, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Do I think she got involved with politics for the right reasons? Matt Gates, give me a break. Bo- Bobert, yeah, yeah, Lauren Bobert. I mean, Lauren Burbert has a rap sheet that is almost as long as your IMDb page. And, and she got elected as a conservative? Like, are you kidding me? A tough on crime conservative? She's tough on crime because she's committed them all and knows how to stop them? Is that is that it? Yeah, I know. It's, it, it, it's, it's boggles my mind. It's like, she's not in it for, Jim Jordan's not in it for the right reason. I don't even know what reason they're in it for. I, I, I don't get yeah. it. Makes me know it makes me it drives me crazy, Kurt. Yeah, and you know, there's so much money involved in, in politics, and it's like the, everyone says we got to take the money out of politics. How you can't? How? Yes, I know, the, I know. But these people, these people are on our side too. They're like, we need to defund the police. We got to take money out. Like you're speaking, like just. You're speaking to like stupidity yeah. right now. Yeah. Like none of that is going to happen. You want to defend the police? Okay. No police. See what happens. <laughs> yeah. It's see like what happens with no police. Uh, when that was coming down, I said, "Oh my God, we just lost the election." When that summer was happening with the defund the police, I, I didn't mind the the, the protests. I mind oh. the defund the police slogan. That was the dumbest slogan in the history of of slogans. Horrible. It's ridiculous. Both my brothers, both my brothers are are uh, law enforcement. Right. So it's like I'm like, well, it's not my brothers. My brothers are the good guys, and it's you know there's uh, there's good apples, there's bad apples. I hate using that general term, but it, it's true. It's absolutely true. It's really, you have to retrain them. Right. And how it starts from retraining them. All those, the, all the guys are in the police academies right now who are training them. You have to just fire them all, give them early retirement, yep. and bring in brand new guys because they teach you from day one about the blue wall. Yeah. They, from day one. Well, that's got to get that's, broke. That's got to get broken down. But I also believe, look, I used to run a county, man. I was the chief deputy county executive of Nassau County. 
And well, I know how hard these guys work, but I also know that all other budgets in local government get axed before the police do. And what happens yeah. then is the police do all those other functions because they're really all the government you've got. So they become the social worker. They become the tax collector. They become, you yeah. know, the, the, the person you call when you're locked out of your car. Like there are, yeah. you know, they are doing too many things and they're not trained for it, frankly. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a vicious cycle here. What happens is these counties lose funding. They cut everything but the police. Crime goes up, so you need more money for the police. You don't have more money to do social yeah. services and housing and other things you need to do. It, it's bad. And, and you yeah. know, it's there are no simple solutions to this. There's no slogan that's going to fix policing in the United States of America. Correct. You're yeah. absolutely right. So, I mean, I just, you know, it, and we get a lot of pushback for saying that sometimes, you and I. I mean, like, what, what's the alternative? Like, okay, well, we got the military. Oh, so you want the military police in our streets? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. We'll be Russia. You want, <laughs> yeah. You want exactly. You want eighteen-year-old kids, eighteen to twenty-five-year-olds, eighteen to twenty-five-year-olds who had a six-week training class. Correct. Right, where they learned how to march. <laughs> you know, it's like I don't. I don't. I mean, I don't get it. It's it's easier to you become a police officer after the police academy, like well, like eight eight months, right? To become a taxi driver in England. It takes three years. Yeah. England's, but, but let's be clear, they have some excellent taxi drivers in England. I mean, you ain't ever getting lost. You're avoiding traffic, you know. You want fish and chips at two in the morning? They know exactly where to go, Kirk. You want a deep-fried <laughs> Mars bar? They'll take you there. Yeah. <laughs> so. but that's the thing is, you know, they train for it. And, that, and that's the thing is, like, you know, cops have, the police have to be trained yep. better. And, and, and longer, you know, it's just, there's something like, you know, listen, I'm all for pensions and all that stuff, but it's just a problem when you can work for 20 years and you're collecting a six figure pension. Yeah. Leading the state. Yeah. It's just a, it, but then you get, you get to, you get to moonlight. Yeah. At 40, you quit and then, all right, I'm going to do private security for this. Per- yeah. It's just, it's, I, I don't know, but. You know. All right, look, I'm running out of time with you. I got 30 seconds left. I want to get some plugs in here. What do you want people to know? What's your next film that they could see you in or TV series? What do you got going on? Uh, I'm working on The Offer, which is the behind-the-scenes uh, making of The Godfather. Nice, nice. And and follow him on Twitter. You're at Kirk Acevedo. How do you spell Acevedo? A-C-E-V-E-D-O. Check him out. Of course, I follow him. He's fantastic. Kirk, you're great. Thanks for joining me, and thanks for all you do. All right, that's Kirk Acevedo. Check him out. He's great. If you have not IMDb'd him, please do. He's an impressive guy, and he's been very generous to me. In fact, we met on social media. I know we talked a little bit about social media during uh, the interview, but that's how we met. Uh, you know, social media is a crazy place, man. You meet great people like Kirk. Uh, I've, I've come in contact with a lot of other people. I've said it before. Uh, the day that Mark Hamill followed me on Twitter was one of the happier days of my life. I mean, it's not as happy as the birth of my child, my wedding, my puppy arriving, but it was a pretty damn happy day because, uh, you know, I am a huge Star Wars geek and to be followed by 
Mark Hamill is uh, pretty freaking awesome. <laughs> so I've never direct messaged him. I will never do that. I'm not that kind of guy, but I do love him. He's fantastic. He's great on Twitter. Very liberal, uh, witty, uh, just as you would expect him to be. Just as you, you know, if like Luke Skywalker was a guy on Twitter. That's, you know, or Mark Hamill was a guy on Twitter. He's Mark Hamill. He's fantastic. He's great. Um, so yeah, you know, for those of you who are used to me being, uh, you know, in 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 angry, aggressive mode, it's just I'm uh, two things. Like I said, I'm overwhelmed by cuteness today in the house, and I'm exhausted. And if uh, that's not coming through, uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I should be in radio anymore because it's uh, it's it's definitely what I feel, and I try to be honest all the time with everybody. It's amazing though. I mean, that's how little some of this stuff means right now. I, I got to thank Joe Biden. I'm not worried about the fate of our country anymore because we've got a guy in the office that's doing the work. I, I joke around um, to Kirk in that interview that I'm not Ron Klain. What did I mean by that? I, I meant that Ron Klain's a serious guy doing serious work and I'm a pundit who goes on TV and you know just tries to make a point tries to get a you know a word in uh tries to be witty thinks on his feet Ron Klain uh yeah I want him running the recovery of this country he's doing a great job of it working for Joe Biden he's been a guest on this program as you guys uh well aware if you haven't heard my interview with Ron Klain uh it was last year I think last June but I did replay it in December before they took office December or January when I was doing some best ofs so uh, check that out. It's a fantastic interview. And, I, you know, I also forgot to introduce myself at the beginning of the show. If you forgot who I was, I'm Chris Hahn. This is the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. And uh, I'm sorry if this is too little for you guys tonight, but um, I love you. But I'm exhausted and I'm going to bed. Uh, and I'm going to wake up in about an hour and a half because that puppy's going to wake me up. But hopefully by next week we'll be in a better routine and I'll be back here with a full rant uh, and we'll we'll have the hearings to have watched and uh, we could be more mad about what happened on January 6th and more mad at these Republicans who don't believe in our republic. And right now I want to remind you, as I always do, to seek the truth, to question everyone and everything America, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there and I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.